hold hands and close your eyes. It's half past midnight, and you're listening to the Ghost Story Guys. Welcome to the Ghost Story Guys. I'm Brennan Store. I'm Ian Gibbs. And this is a show where we talk about spooks, specters, and all the other things watching us from the shadows beyond the campfire. Some conversations only make sense after the sun has set, and this is most definitely one. Thanks for tuning in. This is episode number 83, and we're coming to you from that tiny mountain cabin you dream about but can never quite reach. How you doing, Ian? I'm doing great, Brennan. How are you doing? I am good. You sound better. The last couple episodes have been worried about you. You sounded not so great. Uh, I, I can't um, imagine why in this yeah. Being trapped in, a, trapped in a house uh, for now working from home. Just finished week five. Oh, week God. five. I mean, I hate people, but this this is a new level. <laughs> oh, man. And speaking of hating people, mm-hmm. we have a guest on today's show. Oh, yay. Who who we don't hate. What? No, no, no. He's Can you hear me? No, yeah, we don't hate I, him. I think he can hear you, yeah. It, no, we definitely don't hate him. <laughs> Our guest on today's show is Paul Bestel host of the Mysteries and Monsters podcast and friend of our show, Paul. Welcome to the Ghost Story. Welcome, Paul. Thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be here. It's a a real pleasure to be invited. So thank you very much. Uh, You may say something else by the end of all this, but we shall see. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and just as part of the disclaimer, we do not cover therapy. No, no, no. no, That's uh, I spend way too much money on takeout Vietnamese food for that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. This is a strictly uh, at your own risk sort of participatory activity. It's it's how I wanted the trilogy to end, gentlemen. So I'm I'm fine with that. Psychological damage between friends. Perfect. Exactly. Still better than Rise of Skywalker. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, but uh, Paul is joining us to tell some stories, and Mm -hmm. we're really looking forward to that. We've only had three episodes where we've had guest storytellers. Uh, I know. We had Kim and Jan from Booze and Bourbon. We had Kev from We Need to Talk About Ghosts, and now Paul. And it's it's exciting to have a a fresh voice on the show and someone else to possibly keep us in line and prevent us from getting too terrible since we are in lockdown and completely separated from reality, clearly. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, worse than usual. Yeah, which is yeah. saying something. Yeah, she no has. pressure then. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, no, not, none at all. None at all. Paul, before we get going, why don't you tell everyone a little bit about your show? Yeah, so I present Mysteries and Monsters, which has been running just over a year now. And I interview the great and the good from around the world on a variety of subjects. So we cover cryptozoology, the paranormal, ufology, and uh, essentially we have a nice conversation covering a variety of topics. So we've, we we do all kinds of episodes. We've done Bigfoot several times. We've done ghosts. We've done hauntings. We've done yowies. I'm, I'm just a naturally curious person, and it's been a real pleasure, really, because I've spoken to some incredible people that, you know, 18 months ago I could never imagine I'd spoken to. So it's probably the best decision I've ever made. I love it. I mean, I have I have no insight into your personal life, but I will definitely say it's the best decision you've ever made because <laughs> I, which is not a knock against your personal life. I just really like your show. Hmm. Yeah. Well, yes, yes. I mean, obviously, you know, um, I'm sure my partner may disagree. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I, I'm sure. My but, life has certainly still. been on on an upward upward curve since I met her. So uh, yeah, it's all good. Thank you. Oh, that's great, man. No, and I really, really enjoy Mysteries and Monsters. I learned so much from your show, which is cool because after we started the show, I was really into paranormal research, but I kind of drifted from it a little bit. 
And um, kind of coming back to your show has really reignited my interest mm. in the subject because it's keyed me into all these researchers who really know their shit and who are not fringe kooks, but are people who are truly passionate about what they're doing and about learning more about the paranormal. And so if, if you want to learn more about the paranormal and, and not just hear, I mean, the stories we tell are true life stories, but if you want to hear nuts and bolts research presented in an engaging and interesting fashion, definitely check out Mysteries and Monsters. Mm-hmm. You will not be disappointed. Well, thank you very much. As I said, we we uh, we are very much fans. And Paul is with us today. We're going to be telling stories about strange things that happen in the mountains. And I've been looking forward to this one, partially because I am a strange thing that comes from the mountains. <laughs> and we have a pretty great lineup of stuff. Some stuff that's uh, it, some of these stories have this really great unsettling air to them. It's, it's not just, you know, shadow people or one thing. There's this sense of uncertainty to them that, that I just, just love that, that really is, is the thing that drew me to the paranormal in the first place. And so I'm looking forward to getting into them. Before we get started though, since we are talking about the mountains and I am indeed, as I said, a strange thing from the mountains, I thought we should have a musical guest who is also representative of this place. And it just so happened that a fellow from Revelstoke who uh, not originally from there, he's moved there from Ontario, but he's been there a little while now, is a very accomplished hip-hop artist. And he just released his latest album, The Frontier Motel, which is, of course, a Revelstoke landmark. And a couple of the tracks seem like great fits for the show. So our musical guest for this episode is Luke Luscious, and we're going to be featuring selections from the track 23 North in our bumpers. And at the end of the show, we'll be going out on the song Potent. And you can find more from him at vile.life. That's V-I-A-L dot L-I-F-E. Head over there to find more information, or you can just look for Luke Luscious wherever you stream your music. Coming up after the break, The Riddle of the Mountains. Welcome back. As we said before the break, on this episode, we're talking with Paul Bestel of Mysteries and Monsters about strange stories from the mountains. And uh, Paul, you actually, you did some homework, which is apparently a thing that people do. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you you actually had some stories that you found and you wanted to share. So why don't you tell us a little bit about those? Yeah. I mean, I've always been interested, um, especially where I live in, in the UK, in Sheffield. We're very close to an area called the Peak District. So we've mountain lore and and things like that have always been quite uh something i've i've been quite interested in anyway even though you know british mountains are like a pimple <laughs> compared to uh north america it's always been very interesting especially some of the stories i've heard of of people on everest and i came across one on a website in regards to a collection of weird stories about female uh mountaineers and this one particular lady was called Wanda Rutkovitz, um, and she was the first woman ever to climb K2. Um, and she went over uh, on to climb over, uh, I think, about 20 other mountains that were over 8,000 8, feet. So she was a pretty experienced climber. But sadly, she died whilst attempting to climb uh, Kashanjunga in the Himalayas in 92. And after she died, about a week later, her friend, um, another female climber called Ua Matsueska was awoken during the middle of the night by a telephone call and when she answered it she was stunned to hear it was Wanda's voice 
And so she said, we're all in despair. Where are you? When are you coming home? And the voice on the other end just said, I am cold. I am very cold, but don't cry. Everything will be fine. Oh boy. <laughs> a friend persisted and said, but when are you coming back? And she just replied, I cannot now. And the line went dead. Whoa. Wow. That gave me chills. Yeah, not cool. Paul, get off the show. You're making us look bad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is chilling. The phone calls from the dead thing always gets me. There's, there's something about mm. sitting there in the dark with a phone to your ear. It's why I canceled them. my landline. <laughs> sure, that's why. <laughs> yeah. Because I kept calling. Can I stay at your house? <laughs> yeah, well, that too. But um, that be sitting there in the dark and hearing a voice on the other end of that line that you know shouldn't be mm. there. I'm I'm curious about the formality of the speech. That it's that's kind of interesting. I mean, we're, we're totally pie in the sky here, but you know, some people talk about how when you die, if you're you know, if if you do in fact shed your consciousness and it moves on, that you start to sort of divest yourself of your parts of your earthly personality. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if that if that more formal, you know, I cannot things like this. I wonder if, if that's a little bit of that in there. What do you think? Hmm. I'm not too sure. I'm not too sure. I mean, I've I've, I've come stumbled across a couple of, of similar stories in regards to things like this. There's another ghostly communication uh, story I've got for you later as well. So uh, I hope that gives you a chill as much as the first one did. You want to tell but, it now? I'd love yeah, to. Yeah, can do. Go ahead. We're that's that's why we got out of bed. <laughs> that in the uh, ordering breakfast. Absolutely. Well, I don't blame you. Yeah. So in the summer of 1986. It became known as Black Summer, um, essentially because 13 mountaineers died trying to scale K2, once again in the Himalayas, um, including another female British climber called Julie Tullis. And sadly, she died whilst trapped at uh, Camp 4 on the mountain. And as is the tradition, which has always freaked me out, they just left her there um, because it would have been too risky to, to try and extract her. So six years later, two members of a joint American-Russian mountaineering team were in the area planning an ascent up K2. And two gentlemen, wonderfully called Thor Kaiser <laughs> and Scott Fisher, who were just setting up camp and just talking when their radio crackled into life. And they were stunned to hear a female voice simply repeating, Camp 4 to base camp, over. Do you hear me? Camp 4 to base camp, over. Do you hear me? Both climbers were absolutely stunned. There was no expedition on the mountain. There was nobody at Camp 4. And there were no female members of their team. The call simply finished. Wow. And it was never heard again. Wow. That is yeah, crazy. You, yeah, you really got to get off the show because you're killing me. <laughs> that, is, that is great stuff. <laughs> Shit. Well, thank you very much. I do think there are certain places, certain mountains that have a vibe yeah. about them. And I know Ian and I, we love to talk on the show about forget going into the woods, that's stupid, uh, which it is, wholeheartedly it is. <laughs> uh, but I, I think yeah. mountains are a part of that. I think there is a lot of um, mojo going on yeah. in certain mountains. Mount Shasta is yeah. famous yeah. for that, right? In California, Mount Shasta. Yeah, I, and yeah. I think it's a, a missing 401 yeah. cluster as well. Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, you've got a hidden uh, population of Lemurians are supposed to be under Mount Shasta, aren't they? Oh, of course, I forgot about the Lemurians. They never text me back, you know. <laughs> My favorite story about Mount Shasta is there was a guy, I think, turn of the last century, about just after the 1900, and uh, I think he was called J.C. Brown, and he claimed to have found um, a village full of gold and giant mummies, and he told his story to somebody, and so they arranged a search party about 30 years after to go and find it, 
so they organized it. They got 80 people involved. Right. They got all, you know, geologists, archaeologists, everything. And they said, right, we're all going to turn up on this date. And uh, Brown was the only person that never turned up. And nobody ever heard from him again. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Like man, this prank has gotten out of control. <laughs> Either that, or he went on his own. Oh well, that's oh, possible too. Yeah, full of shit. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's kind of what I fall. But you know, hey, the other one's more interesting. That's funny. Yeah, brilliant. Always makes me chuckle. Stuff like that. There's always there's always one huckster wandering around with these strange tales. Oh, it, at least. However. That's one thing we are incapable of being because even though it kills a good story, we no, cannot abide no. bullshit. And so with that, we will head on over to our hopefully bullshit free stories. Quick listener story from Frank. In November 2017, I drove my mother and stepfather to Branson, Missouri for their first trip there. At around 8.30 p.m., we were driving through the Ozark Mountains somewhere north of Harrison, Arkansas. About 100 yards ahead, we saw a figure walk across the road, except you couldn't really see him. You could see an outline of a man as he walked from the right shoulder toward the median and disappeared. He didn't float or run. He walked casually and didn't fade away as we got closer, but only when he reached the median. We figure it was someone who'd been involved in a wreck or some other accident in the mountains in the past. We've all seen quite a few things over the years, but never anything like that. So thank you for that story, Frank. And Mm -mm. thank you, Ian, for reading that a second time when I forgot to record the first one. (laughs) You know, it just gave me a chance to perfect my velvet smooth delivery. So I'm good with it. It was that much better the second time. So (laughs) thank you. Yeah, I'm I'm still getting used to this recording uh, remotely thing. You know, there's more button pushes involved. And so I'll hit one button and I think, okay, we're good to go. Yeah, I know. It's all good. Ten ten minutes later, I look like a giant tit. No, no. I mean, it's not like we recorded like half the show and you went, oh, wait. (laughs) (laughs) Well, at that point, I look look forward to the first ever uh, instance of teleportation where you reach your hands through the void and throttle the life. Yeah, where I just turn off the computer and walk away. (laughs) That's right. And that was the end of the ghost story. And that, yeah, this week it's a ghost story guy. Right. Killed by Tulpa. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> but, uh, you know, so thanks again for that, Frank. And, and I, I, the only thing I really know about the Ozarks is what happens on that Netflix show. And I only watched one episode because it, it stressed me out. But you're a big fan of that one, aren't you? Oh, my God. I can't get enough. Um, for anyone who is watching the show, and I'm not going to give anything away, but the final episode of season three, mind blown. And it's incredible. So if you're a fan of the show, you haven't seen season three, you need to watch it. Footsteps at the Overlook. When we were kids, my family used to spend a lot of time out in Sequoia National Forest, where we owned a small encampment. The encampment was a couple mobile homes on the edge of a small mountain community. And when I say small, I mean small. Maybe five blocks of wide-set rural homes bordering the steep, narrow roads. During one of those summers, some family friends were building a new cabin at the far end of town overlooking the valley. Thinking about it now, cabin may be a bit of a misnomer, as the place was a pretty good size. It had three bedrooms and a wraparound porch. Whatever you want to call it, it was new, and one day when my sister Danny and I were bored, we decided to go over and say hi. The place wasn't finished, so I'm not sure what we expected, but we were kids. 
when we got there, there was a big truck in the driveway. So we assumed someone, maybe even one of the workers, was around. We decided to knock on the door. When we got no answer at either the front or back door, we ended up back in the driveway sitting on a pile of gravel the construction crew had left there. Why did we stick around, you ask? Because this was a small town, and throwing stones from the pile of gravel at a nearby sign was literally the only thing we had going on. After maybe 20 minutes, we heard the door on the other side of the house bang open and close, followed by heavy footsteps across the deck. We assumed someone had always been inside the house ignoring us, and we turned around to see who it was. A funny thing happened then. The sound of the heavy footsteps came around the corner of the deck towards us, but a person never appeared. The footsteps didn't stop either. They began to approach us, changing from the sound of feet on wood to feet on gravel, still with no sign of who or what was making them. Danny and I ran as fast as we could, and we never went back to that cabin. Do like spooky footsteps. Well, that's good, because I think uh, 30% of the content of the show is spooky footsteps. <laughs> <laughs> I was just in the Sequoia National Forest uh, January, and um, there is a definite thrumming kind of energy there. Oh, interesting. Yeah, for sure. It's a really interesting place. Now, whereabouts is Sequoia? In California. Right. Okay. Gotcha. We, we hit up the Redwood Forest. We hit the Sequoia National Forest. We hit, which is why I can't recall what town is near it because, you know, big trees. What are you going to do? Um, right, right, right. But uh, there were just so many people there that we just went, forget it. So we're like, okay, we saw big trees. We're out of here. Um, oh, yeah. But it is a very interesting place to be. And I was very concerned we were going to be there at night. I was like, we need, we need to go. We need to go. We need to get out of here before it gets dark. Yeah, no kidding. I don't think it's wise to be in any any national forest. And I, I remember driving through the Payette National Forest in Idaho at night, and I, I did not particularly enjoy that. No. And it's not, not much of a forest. No. I, I think it's a combination of it being uh, a lot of trees, very closed in. And, of course, when it's a national park, there's no houses, right? So right, right, can right. feel pretty lonely. Bigfoot country as well. Mm, oh, really? There you go. There you go. Yeah, a so, lot of sightings of Bigfoot in that area always has been. The drums and the well. My friend Tim is from a family that has a lot of generational wealth. He himself isn't owner helicopter rich, but he has the Blade app on his phone and has used it. So he's rent a helicopter when he wants to rich. And if that wasn't enough, he owns a mountain. He didn't buy the mountain to be clear. It was a bequest from his grandparents, but still, it's something he has to explain when meeting new people. Tim has brought me to the mountain twice. And both times I've had experiences with some people have called time slips and others have called ghosts. I'll admit to not knowing which, if either is correct. One of the things that the mountain is good for is birding, and so the first time Tim brought me up there, I took my binoculars along in case I had some time to myself. Sure enough, there was a point when he needed to attend to business, and so I wandered out into the trees to find me a blackpole warbler, or a Bicknell's thrush. Maybe an hour later, I was up a medium-sized tree scanning the foliage with my binoculars when I saw movement about a quarter of a mile out. When I noticed the movement, I also became aware of something that sounded very much like drums. Focusing in with my monarchs, I could see what appeared to be eight or nine people, mostly men, mostly shirtless, dancing in a circle. As quickly and as quietly as I could, I tried to call Tim, but he was obviously still on his business call. I dialed several times but got no response, and the whole time the dancers continued their movements until finally, 
The drum beats faded, and so did they, one by one, until I was again alone in the treetops. If my second experience hadn't come while I was with Tim, I'd have started to question my own sanity, but thankfully he was there. We were out for a walk on the mountain when we came to an overgrown field, dotted with rusted out cars. We could also see the remains of a long abandoned well, the stones around it weathered with age, but still holding fast against the elements. I was just about to ask Tim if he knew how long it had been since anyone lived on this part of the mountain, when a man climbed up out of the well. He was much older than us, but looked hard with half his haste hidden beneath a grizzled beard. His clothes were antiquated, though I couldn't say exactly how much. It all happened reasonably quickly. We didn't stick around the mountain long after this, and neither of us slept properly for a week after. The thing that stuck with us most was that when the strange man climbed out of the well, he looked all around, and even though we were in plain view, he didn't seem to see us at all. After that, he ran into the forest and disappeared. So let me first say how much I dislike the idea that you can own a mountain. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's, there's bougie and then there's that. That is true. I, I mean, then the Blade app thing too, that... Uh, I didn't even know that was a thing until I watched the movie Uncut Gems. Yeah. Oh, funny. Yeah, I know. <laughs> for, for our listeners who don't know, the Blade app is it's literally like Uber, but for helicopters and planes. That's so you, you can... Yeah, it's in, I think, San Francisco, L.A., and New York. So you can just, you know, hit a button on your phone, like Grand Theft Auto, basically, and just mm -hmm. call, <laughs> call a plane or call a helicopter. Probably where I, they got the idea. Probably. I, I looked into it because I was curious uh, yeah, reading this. You can go from, well, you could before <laughs> back when the world was the world. <laughs> uh, you could go from downtown Manhattan to JFK Airport in six minutes, which could be you know, up to an hour in traffic for a mere $200 per person. Okay. Wow. What a screaming deal. Um, okay. <laughs> I, I am, of course, kidding. That made me shit my pants. <laughs> <laughs> that story was really interesting because I had friends who owned property in Alberta and they lived on top of a hill, which, if you know anything about Alberta, is exceptional. <laughs> and um, Making it the only interesting thing in Alberta. There you go. Other than me. Um, <laughs> yeah, but you're here now. So they, um, we, we claim you. Okay, there you go. But they had, they had First Nations traces on their land because for the Plains First Nations, high areas were sacred. That's where you did your your you know, your rituals, whatever you're going to do. Um, right. So they, they were about three quarters of the way up the hill. And then at the very top of the hill, they had a bit of a camp that they would let churches come and do church camps and things like that. And, but um, they were just in their house and this happened more than once, but the first time it happened, they're in their house and they started hearing the beats from, from the first nations drums. And then they started hearing the singing and they're looking at each other like, what is that? Because there, there's no one around them for miles and miles and miles. And when they went outside, they could hear it coming from the top of the hill. And they jumped in their truck, had the windows down, and they drove up and it just got louder and louder and louder. And then when they got to the top of the hill, it just disappeared. And they would hear this three or four times a year. In fact, the church camp stopped coming because a couple times it happened while someone, like a group, was camping up there. And it scared them so bad they packed up and left in the middle of the night. So pretty wow. crazy, pretty intense. 
they were not going to let Jesus handle that one. They, nope. No, Jesus, take the wheel and get me the heck out of here. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one of um, one of the UK's most uh, or oldest rather poltergeist cases is in, uh, involves drumming. Oh, okay. Really? Uh, the drummer of Tedworth, who was a guy who was a bit of a. It sounds like he was a bit of a dick, to be fair. Um, and he just liked to walk about banging. He was English. I mean, come on. <laughs> banging his drum and annoying everybody. And um, he, he basically was arrested and the drum was taken off him. And, and I think the magistrate looked after it. And then after a couple of days, the drum started to play at night on its own. Oh, boy. And, and went oh, on man. until he was released. And then he was charged. And then he was rearrested and charged with witchcraft, I think. How, how do you have a day go from bad to worse? <laughs> Lost on Hoodoo Mountain There are a few places named Hoodoo Mountain dotted around North America, and so I don't think the name necessarily implies anything special. Even the legends surrounding our particular Hoodoo Mountain, south of our hometown of Priest River, Idaho, kind of sound like the sort of thing someone cooks up around a campfire. Allegedly, people are drawn there to commit suicide, and people go missing, and, and, and. But people also live up on Hoodoo. The novelist Emily Ruskovich grew up on there and lived to write a novel about the area, so I never thought much about all the scare stories. My dad taught my sister Megan and I to hunt from an early age. This wasn't some kind of psychotic survivalist rite of passage, though there's a lot of that going around Priest River, but just a way for our single dad to incorporate us into his hobbies. Consequently, we learned a lot about the woods, animals, and how to navigate the natural world, and even after we'd grown and moved away, we'd still meet back in PR every year to go on a hunting trip with dad. When he passed away a few years ago, we kept the tradition, right up until the day we got lost. The way we do it is we drive a ways into the forest, park the truck somewhere shaded, and head out. On this particular trip, I had to bring my dog Ned for reasons I won't get into, and so we left him in the truck with food, water, and the windows down. Walking up into the bush, something felt off. I couldn't put my foot on it and was about to dismiss it when Megan commented on it too. The only way I can describe it is that something felt wrong. But our dad didn't raise wimps, so we kept on going, eventually got our stands, and waited for game until the sun started to dip and the shadows got long. We started heading back towards the truck, or at least thought we were. We've done this trip literally a hundred times or more, with our dad and without, so we know the landmarks on the walk back down the mountain to where we left the truck, but even so, the walk seemed to be taking longer than it should. Long enough, we lost the sun completely, and the moon, bloated and bright, started to rise. Another 30 minutes passed, then 45, and we were still heading downhill, but the truck was nowhere to be found. I felt panic start to rise in me. I always thought I knew the woods, but somehow these weren't my woods. Megan was feeling it too. She'd never admit it, but there was a frightened look on her face I hadn't seen since we were kids. Just then a sound broke the stillness. A howl. Meg and I looked at each other and then the howl came again. It was a wild, desperate sound I then recognized as Ned, and it was coming from completely the opposite direction we'd been heading. I shouted out and Ned responded with another howl. It was this call and response that finally brought Meg and I back to the truck and safety. We grew up in those woods and know them as well as two people can know anything. So how could we possibly have gone uphill when we were trying to go down? especially when everything looked the way it should. To this day, we have no idea. And until we do, we've agreed that was our last hunting trip on Hoodoo Mountain. 
maybe there was something to those stories after all. Yeah, I mean, it's it's an area I've I've heard of um, Hoodoo Mountain in Idaho because it's it's a place where there's a long history of situations like this where people hear strange noises and and seem to get lost even though they know the area pretty well and they go there a lot. Really, I know um, there's a lot of craziness in that particular part of Idaho. I knew a woman who grew up there and uh, I shouldn't say, well, did they grow up there? No, I think their family, pardon me, I think her family owned land there. They were quite wealthy and so they would vacation there. Uh, Christ knows why you'd pick Priest River, Idaho, but that's fine. <laughs> but um, I remember hearing a story that they were out playing in the woods when uh, it was at night. Again, don't know why, but they do. When all of a sudden they were surrounded by men in ghillie suits. A couple of them grabbed them, put their hands over their mouths and it uh, turns out it was it was SWAT. Uh, these guys were about to raid a white supremacist compound. Oh, oh and they got yeah. in the way. The kids blundered right into it. So no. the SWAT, yeah, <laughs> SWAT had to had to remove them, and then they they raided this compound. And that's, from what I understand, not uncommon in the area. That's uh, insane. I know. I, I heard another story, and this one's I don't know. Whatever, I'm going to tell it. We try to avoid these these subjects usually because I just you know. There's enough political bullshit in the world, but I think this gives you an indication of the flavor of the area. So this family that I know, or partially know, they were in the rest a restaurant one night having a nice dinner, and it was a you know fancy restaurant. And they noticed that a couple tables over, Ben Stein was having dinner with Mark Furman. Oh wow! Yeah, and, and for our listeners who are not aware why that's significant, Mark Furman was uh, the detective at the center of the O.J. Simpson trial. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was his, uh, shall we say, racist tendencies that helped muddy the waters around the investigation that eventually led to Simpson uh, being acquitted, which, uh, you know, hot take, he should not have been. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, and so they were, of course, they, they this is all taking place post-O.J. And these teenagers were joking at their dad's table or the parents' table, oh, we, sh- we should ask the waitress to send them some, some O.J. <laughs> and... Never thinking they were going to, never actually going to do it. Then the waitress came over and said to them very solemnly, Mr. Furman draws a lot of water here. Be quiet or we'll ask you to leave. Well, that's ominous. Mm. Yeah. And, and like, no, Mr. Furman is, is someone here. So shut up. And bear, bear in mind too, like the person I'm talking about, this table full of people, they, they are ex- executives for, uh, um, well, I, I can't say, but they're executives. So mm-hmm. like they're, they're moneyed people. And right. they're being told, no, shut up. Mr. Furman's a big deal here. But anyways, that's uh, my, the only thing I really know about Northern Idaho is, is white supremacist compound raids and uh, an unfortunate encounter with Mark Furman in a restaurant. Our next story is called White Dog. A few weeks ago, my friend Paul convinced me to join him and his buddies on a hike over a nearby mountain. The mountain's kind of famous among people who believe in the paranormal because there have been reports of lights at the peak, among other things. I've never really been much for that kind of stuff, so I never really paid attention. For what it's worth, I'm not much for mountaineering either, but Paul's always trying to get me out in the world to exercise, and I was tired of saying no. Boy, was that a mistake. The plan had been to summit the mountain and go back down in a day, so we started early, and while it was tough, it wasn't the hellish slog I expected it to be. After a quick lunch, we started heading back down the mountain so as to beat the sun. My energy was starting to flag a little by this point, and Paul ended up walking ahead of me with a couple of other guys, and they were loudly shooting the breeze as they went. Still, I kept my own pace and just tried to enjoy the view as I descended. I first realized I may be in trouble when it occurred to me that the sound of their talking had grown considerably fainter. I was being left behind. 
I started to run down the path, but their voices didn't get any closer and I couldn't see them. In my hurry, I lost my footing and fell down the mountain a ways. At the bottom, my face smacked straight into a bundle of old tree roots and I lay there, gasping. Thankfully, nothing was broken and I climbed back up the rise to the path and kept descending. By now, the voices were gone completely and I was alone beneath the setting sun. The path was clearly marked, but at several points it forked and I couldn't remember the directions we'd taken on the way up. At the first fork, I vaguely recalled which way to go, and at the others, I did my best to guess, but I felt further and further away from where I needed to be. All around me, the only thing I could hear was nature, the birds in the trees, and the ever chillier wind. My panic was cresting, and I was just about to burst into tears when, just up ahead of me from around a corner, I noticed a white dog. I couldn't see all of it, just the head, but it was definitely looking my way. When it left, I followed it, but I didn't encounter it again until the next fork. I could never quite catch up with the animal, but all the same, I kept following it through the forks until, lo and behold, I heard the other hikers talking to one another again. When I finally caught up with the others, I was infuriated to find out they hadn't even realized I was missing. The white dog didn't appear again, and by the time we got to the bottom of the mountain, I was certain he'd been sent to help me. It's at times like this I wish these stories were sent to us by people we knew because I'd like to say, motherfucker, get better friends. No kidding, eh? <laughs> no kidding. We're going to go for a hike and you... You can be barefoot. Yeah, exactly. I. Good <laughs> God. This- it's, it's interesting though that I'm not too sure about Canada, but um, here in the UK, we've obviously got a tradition of black dogs. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, no, probably commonly known as shucks, but um, they have different names up and down the country. So where I live in Yorkshire, they're known as bargasts. Right. Um, and they fall into two distinct camps. Some of the sort of half the stories are about it being a uh, a warning or a or a message of foreboding, and and something negative befalls the person that's come across it. But also there are stories where people have been lost or or injured. And a, and a bar guest has appeared and led them to safety. It's interesting you say that because when we started doing ghost stories from other countries, one of the things that kept sort of popping up, especially in stories from India and, and the Philippines, was that they were very, very pale. They were like, their skin was completely white. While that was never really ever mentioned in other country stories. So it's interesting how it does sort of vary from region to region. Yeah, it is. I mean, there are some strange things like that because certain countries seem to have a very unique aspect to their paranormal. So that doesn't surprise me at all because, I mean, Japan's famous because, you know, a lot of their ghosts seem to be able to throw their heads at people. Oh, they are intense. Yeah. No, that's a skill. And I didn't realize that was a tradition because we we did that Singapore story. Remember the the cab driver? Yeah. 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 It looked like him. But then it's like a doppelganger, but then its head rolled off. Yeah. Right. I had no idea that was a cultural norm. That is. It's something there's a, that one of my very favorite films from Asia is, is a wonderful film called Mr. Vampire. I think it was made in about 1985. It's a wonderful, it's like a Kung Fu vampire ghost film. It's amazing. I'm on board already. <laughs> and um, there's like a sub story in it because obviously the, the title kind of gives away what the what the main story is about <laughs> but um, this this guy that sort of deals with vampires in, in China at the time his two sons live with him and, and one of them on his way home 
gets seduced by a ghost in a wood and she brings him home. And then he realizes, the, the father realizes that the son's been sort of bewitched because he's right. got strange markings on his body. So similar to a succubus, I would imagine. And um, he ended up, ends up challenging it. And during the fight, her, her head comes off and starts attacking him. It's brilliant. It's like those video games where you defeat, you defeat the boss in the first stage. Yeah. And then his head flies off and starts shooting lasers at you. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's a wonderful, wonderful film. It it's, should be seen more. It's fabulous. Loved it ever since first time I saw it. I am going to find Mr. Vampire. I of course watch you this. are. <laughs> Don't you judge me, Gibbs. The Hazy Man. My husband, Ken, is the outdoorsy type. So when we got together, I became one too. And when we had our son, David, we did our best to introduce him to the great outdoors. I never thought that at the same time we'd be introducing him to a ghost as well. It happened in the Appalachian Mountains when David was seven. It was his first overnight camping trip, and he was nervous, of course. But I told him that Daddy and I would be with him the whole time, and there was nothing to worry about. That seemed to calm him some, and we started out on the trail. After a lovely day of hiking, Ken saw the sun was starting to set, so he said it was time to set up camp. The spot he chose was a small clearing in the middle of a wood that was already beginning to gather shadows. Something about it didn't feel right, and I asked if we could pick a new spot, but Ken refused, saying he didn't intend to gather firewood in the dark. David noticed something was off too, because even before I asked Ken to move camp, he said to me he didn't want to sleep there. Again, I told him it was all going to be okay, and that we wouldn't let anything happen to him. After wieners and marshmallows, I put David to bed, and he asked if I would stay with him. Given how strange the woods felt outside, I had no problem with that. The next morning we went on a little hike together, and the sense of foreboding from the night before returned. Then I saw it. About forty feet away, leaning on a birch tree, was a hazy man. He appeared like a person, but blurry. He lifted his head, looked at us, and then blinked out. David said, Mama, was that a man? And I truly had no idea what to say. I think the first thing you should say is, your dad stinks. <laughs> <laughs> and he needs to listen men? to you more. I know. <laughs> right? I know. I totally agree with you. It comes up all the time in our stories. I'm, hey, I'm, every time I listen to the show, you always seem to have a story where, where a, a lady's saying, there's something weird going on here, and the husband's like, no, nothing, for, everything's fine, carry on. <laughs> Well, and I've said before, you married this person, therefore, why are you now not believing anything they're saying? Like, really? Exactly. What would be their motivation in telling you this? We've actually got another story coming up where there's a guy who's, he, it's not a paranormal inconvenience thing. It's just another terrifying window into a horrible relationship. <laughs> <laughs> Curfew. When I lived in El Salvador as a child, it was often said that it was not safe to be outside after 10 p.m. That past that time, the night belonged to other things. I used to think this was something they said to keep the children in line, but then my grandfather and I made the mistake of being outside around that time. It was the weekend. Grandfather and I had been visiting my uncle and his family, who lived further up the mountain from us, roughly a two-hour hike in total, and we'd been having such a good time we stopped paying attention to the clock. When we finally checked the time, it was past 8 p.m., which meant not only we would be walking in the dark, but the last part of the walk would be getting close, if not past 10. 
The backpacks that grandmother always packed for us had water, snacks, and flashlights, so the dark wasn't a problem as we made our way down the mountain. But we were surrounded by trees, and often there would be strange, upsetting sounds just off into the woods. Grandfather told me it was nothing to worry about, but he kept me close all the same. We were no more than a mile away from home when the air went out of the world. Everything suddenly went silent, and we couldn't hear so much as a gusano in the bush. Grandfather took my hand and said I should stay close. My watch said it was only 9.30, but still I was scared and told him so. He told me not to worry and to keep my flashlight pointed down in front of me so I didn't stumble. I did as he told me and kept inspecting the ground. A few minutes later, Grandfather stopped abruptly and I bumped into him. Looking up, I saw he was looking at a large tree some seven yards away. The tree had a bow on it, which we both thought was unusual. And even more unusual still was a woman standing behind it as we passed. Her back was to us, so all we could make out was her long hair, and in a moment she began walking away. Grandfather was concerned and called out to her, asking if she needed help. The woman began walking faster, descending a small hill, and we rushed to catch up, but when we got to where she had been only a moment before, she was gone. The hill she had walked down led into a meadow, broken only by a few small trees, so there was seemingly nowhere to hide. Grandfather's flashlight was very powerful, so he swept the meadow several times, calling out as he did. But the woman was nowhere to be found. Yeah, there's something about Latin American countries. They seem to have a lot of stories about strange female figures wandering or hanging around in the woods. <laughs> yeah, but not good ones. <laughs> yeah, they're always quite... Uh, they're not the type of haunting one wants to uh, to encounter. <laughs> no, no. I, I put it to you, there is no type of haunting that anyone wants to encounter, but that, that may just be me. <laughs> yeah, I think she's called La Seguin Barba or something like that. It's a, a tradition. I, I, know, I know it's... It's certainly in Mexico and um, Puerto Rico, so it might be a similar mm. kind of situation over there in El Salvador. The Devil's Mountain. Here in the Philippines, we have what's called the Holy Mountain, or Mount Banaha. It's called that because it's considered sacred to many different groups. There's another mountain connected to Mount Banaha, and that is Mount San Cristobal, also known as the Devil's Mountain. It's said that San Cristobal absorbs the dark energy from Holy Mountain and that unusual things happen there. Not many people hike Cristobal, but when I was 16, my boyfriend and his friends suggested we do just that. Some family members tried to convince us not to make the climb. They said that bad things often happen to those who attempted it, but we were young and foolish and thought nothing could ever hurt us, and so we went. We agreed to do the climb on a Wednesday and met that morning at the base of the mountain. Our first mistake was starting late. By the time we all got there and finished checking our gear, it was noon, and so we said a prayer for guidance and started up the trail. Two hours later, we were well on our way, looking out over an incredible view. That's when the first thing went wrong. William, one of our friends, was asthmatic and usually managed it fairly well, but for whatever reason, on Christabel, it became a real problem, and he had a full-on asthma attack. We managed to get his medication into him and he calmed, but we had to stop until he was ready to continue. An hour later, we were on our way again, and in short order, we passed a small cottage where a family was selling coconut juice. We stopped again to chat with the family, and when they found out we were intending to head all the way up, they made the strangest request. They asked for my boyfriend and his friends, of whom I was the only girl, to leave me there with them until they came back. 
The head of the family, an elderly man, said it was not safe for me to try and make the climb, particularly late in the day. Not wanting to miss out on a day with my friends, I politely thanked him and told him I had my rosary with me. Inwardly, I was a little nervous, as we weren't even halfway yet, and already it was 4 p.m. But nonetheless, we continued on. The guide we had hired to take us up the mountain was named Teddy, and right from the start he said he would only take us as far as the halfway point, but we figured he was just trying to scare us or get more money. But when we got to the halfway marker, Teddy just stopped. He said no amount of money could make him go further because he always feels sick past that point. He told us which forks to take to get where we were going, and then he left. We kept on marching, up and up until the sun began to set, the deep shadows bringing a chill to all of us. That may be why Reggie had another asthma attack, which cost us a further 30 minutes. It was full dark by the time we set out again, and before long we reached a point where the trail was bisected by a large tree, with each side leading off to a different path. None of us had been paying enough attention when the guide gave his instructions, and this finally induced us in a little panic. After some debate, we decided we should split into two groups, each take one path, and then meet back after 15 minutes. In retrospect, I understand this wasn't wise, but it seemed like a good idea at the time. Just then, two hikers we hadn't noticed before, probably because of all our talking, overtook us on the trail and asked if we needed help. Immediately, I said yes, and they said they were happy to help as they knew the area well. We hurriedly accepted, and they told us to follow them. By now, it was 7 p.m., so we took out our flashlights and followed them along the left-hand path. Even though it was now nighttime on the Devil's Mountain, we kept making jokes and talking as we hiked, but the couple who'd offered to help us never spoke a word unless prompted, and even then it wasn't much. The path began to narrow with tall, prickly bushes on either side, and at roughly 9 p.m. it started raining. One of our guides, the man, spoke up and said, We're here. Now hurry before the rain gets harder. Thankfully, the rain didn't last, but a few minutes after it ended, our luck took another turn as every one of our flashlights, five of them, turned off at the same time. This was a problem because the moon was well hidden behind the clouds, and we were surrounded by darkness on a narrow, slippery path. We called out to the couple who'd been leading us, but they didn't answer, so we assumed they'd gone on ahead. Now we were all afraid. We stayed within arm's reach of each other as we felt our way into the blackness. Without any reason at all, our flashlights clicked back on. And the biggest one of us, Martin, screamed. And a moment after, the smallest, asthmatic William, did the same. In the glow of our now-working flashlights, we saw we'd been walking towards a cliff a cliff over which Martin was now dangling by the straps of his backpack, which William had just managed to grab in time. We all grabbed onto Martin and pulled as hard as we could, eventually dragging him all the way back from the ledge. He told us he'd been following our guides when the light came back on and he saw the cliff. There was just enough time there to push William back before he almost went over himself. None of us had any idea where our guides had gone. It was like they disappeared, and it took us another hour to muddle our way to the campsite. Our enthusiasm for this hike was over, so once we set up our tents, we went silently to bed. In the morning, the heat of the sun made us all feel a little more normal, and while wandering around the campsite, we ran into a fellow hiker, Bob, we'd met on a previous trip. My boyfriend had been concerned about our guides, that they had suffered a similar fate to Martin, and so he described the pair and asked if Bob had seen them. 
Bob almost choked on his coffee. He asked if we were kidding, but from the looks on all our faces, he realized we were not. That's when he told us the story that still chills me. Eight years before, a young couple had journeyed up Christabel late in the day, the same way we had, and in the dark, took the same left-hand path, and they were never found. When we finally descended the mountain days later, we decided again to check out the trail, which had almost killed our friends. In the daylight, we could see it was a suicide mission, not only narrow, but almost impossible to navigate unless you're a skilled mountaineer, which none of us truly was. Someone or something was trying to guide us to our death that night. To this day, I don't know if it was truly that couple or something vengeful, which merely took their shape. Yikes. Another reason to not climb on mountains. Well, especially at nighttime. Although I will say that is vintage, vintage teenager bullshit. Oh, and it's, 100%. And, and, and 20s. Yeah, we're going to get together and do this activity. Um, noon is an okay time to start, right? <laughs> I, I, I don't get up before 1130, so yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. Okay, now, now I feel attacked. Well, no, I mean like as a teenager. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah okay. Yeah, yeah me, me too. That's what I meant. Oh, jeez. <laughs> yeah, Philippines but, as a as a uh, tradition. There's always there's lots of strange things hiding in the woods in the Philippines. Probably um, the most famous one is is called the Capre. Okay, what's that? It's like a, a tree spirit. Um, he remarkably he likes to smoke cigars. Okay, well, he sounds like an all right kind of guy. Yeah, but, um, <laughs> they tend to be attracted to women and I, again, follow we're on, them. I'm on I'm on board. Yeah. And they follow them around the woods and they can fall in love. And if they do, they, they'll follow that person for the rest of their lives. Oh, that's not good. Yeah. Okay. I, I should, my parole officer says I can't do that anymore. So yeah, they're like, um, it's, it's one of those creatures that's very similar to sort of fairy law that, um, it depends what mood it's in, how it mm-hmm. meets people. Oh, right. okay. So sometimes it'll be helpful and sometimes it'll just be a shit bag. Not <laughs> right. good. The Lodge. Living in Sarajevo as an American has been a learning experience on a lot of levels. I won't get into details here, but my Bosnian wife has taught me a lot about the differences between our two countries, and sometimes my own doesn't come out looking as noble as I thought. Again, that's a conversation for another time. This conversation is about the spirits, or whatever they were, that we encountered at the Lodge. At some point during this adventure, My lovely wife convinced me to take up hiking, and it became something fun we did together and with friends. Eventually, we took on more challenging routes until one winter when we joined seven others for a hike to an overnight spot on a local mountain. The path involved taking a train to the village at the mountain's base, and then proceeding on foot several kilometres along a winding, snow-covered path, a journey of about four hours. It was an arduous trip, and as the green fields below gave way to snowdrifts, which were at times hip deep. I wondered at the wisdom of this whole thing, but onward and upward. By the time we got to the lodge, I was happy for the opportunity to take a load off and relax. Considering the lodge had no electricity or modern conveniences, it was still well appointed and comfortable. The entryway was large with tables and a wood-burning stove. From there, a hallway led to a bathroom with several sinks and stalls, and past that was the stairway which led up to the bedrooms. We were not the only ones present, There were also some girls who ran the kitchen, two maintenance men who worked on all the lodges in the area, and another couple who arrived shortly after we did. As a stroke of luck, the chemistry was good, and we all got along well, drinking cups of tea by lantern light, as an outsider snowstorm began to gather strength. 
During a lull in the conversation, I decided to take our bags upstairs to our room. After dropping them off, I walked down the hallway, past the other rooms to the window at the far end. Below us was a snow-coloured village, a summer-only place that was deserted for the season. Beyond that stretched white treetops and the gathering darkness. As I looked out, I heard two hushed voices speaking in Bosnian. The first said, I do not know, and the other said, soon, not now. This repeated several times, but I could not determine where the speakers were. My assumption was that I had overheard a private conversation, so I headed back downstairs before I heard more. Imagine my surprise when I found all the guests still in the main lodge, no one having moved since my trip upstairs. The storm truly started to pick up steam then, and with the natural light all but gone, everyone decided it was time for bed. Everyone but me, that is. I'm a bit of a night owl, and so I decided to hang on just a while longer to take in the view. Storms in that region have a fury I've never seen anywhere else, and to be in the middle of one while simultaneously sheltered from its power is an oddly comforting thing. I mentioned before about the current empty village below, and it's there, through the haze of the storm. I saw a man standing by one of the houses. He was still at first, so I wasn't sure of what I was looking at, but then he walked around a bit, placed his hands on his hips and turned, like he was looking around. Suddenly he turned towards the lodge, seemingly to look up, and waved. For some reason, I pulled back from the window and hid behind the wall. When I looked back out there, he was still there, facing away again. One of the maintenance men had come downstairs in time to see me dodge away from the window and ask what the problem was. When I told him, he then went to the window and saw the man as I had. He said it was odd, since the villagers typically didn't return till spring. But all we needed to do was to leave the door unlocked in case the man needed shelter. But no one ever came in. The next night everyone was downstairs in the main room eating and drinking, when we all heard heavy footsteps coming from the bedrooms upstairs. Everyone was accounted for, so the same maintenance man who I'd spoke to the night previously took his flashlight and went upstairs, only to come back and say no one was there. We looked at one another, shrugged and kept on. In time, the lamps grew dim and I'd had enough beer that a toilet trip was required, so I headed to the bathroom. The bathroom was particularly dark, so I slowly felt my way into a stall and set about doing my business. Just after I was done, a glow of light appeared in the crack around the door. Leaving the stall, I found a woman standing at the door holding a candle. She smiled, nodded, and placed the candle above one of the sinks. After about five minutes back at the table with the others, I was hit by the realisation that I didn't know the woman. She wasn't part of the group. My wife is a strictly sceptical woman, and even tried to poo-poo my story. But I know for certain I had never seen this woman before, and even though I never told anyone else, I had heard others wondering who had been kind enough to put a candle in the bathroom. Not long after this, my wife and I headed to bed, and while she nodded off, I did a crossword puzzle by lamplight, and listened to the conversations downstairs get louder and louder. Obviously, someone had found their way into the hard alcohol. I fell asleep for a while, and was woken again by the sound of everyone coming to bed up the creaky stairs. Again I passed out and woke up once again some time later, needing the bathroom. The lodge was freezing cold, so I hurried to do my business and got back into bed as soon as possible. Then, before I could go to sleep again, a blur of bright light passed the frosted glass window in our bedroom door. It appeared to be heading in a direction to the stairs, 
Something about it tripped an alarm in my head, but I couldn't place exactly what. It was as I slipped into that space between sleeping and waking that I finally understood. The light was too bright for a lamp, moved too quickly and smoothly for someone carrying a lamp, and it made no noise, despite those stairs creaking if you so much as thought about them. Sleep claimed me before I could dwell on this new knowledge. In the morning, we learned that our weekend was to be cut short, because the storm which had buffeted us the first night was coming back in force. On our way back down the mountain, our guide said leaving was the right choice, and made oblique references to unusual things that had happened to him at the lodge in years past, but never elaborated. That said, when we came to rise part way down from the lodge, he pointed towards a particular stretch of forest and said it was known to be haunted. You might say that that's just him winding up the tourists, but he seemed dead serious and a quick look at our map showed a much quicker path up and down the mountain through those woods. Instead, we, and everyone else who goes there, takes a large detour around them. So that that's a threefer, I think. Stay out of the woods, the mountains, and Bosnia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And mountain lodges are generally not a good idea. Yeah, woods on mountains. Yeah, I've no. never wanted to do that. No. <laughs> yeah, that's not the kind and, of lodge I'll be booking. No, sir. <laughs> and I've heard of this whole, like, we're going to hike up and we're going to stay in a lodge and other people will be there. I, that, I can't think of anything that sounds worse. Mm-hmm. I agree. Hiking, staying with strangers in a stinky, lightless, no. Nope, I will pass. (laughs) Absolutely. I will say, though, at some point, I'd love for us to do a show about um, Eastern Europe. I think there's a lot of potential there. Well, I mean, that's where so many of the stories came from, like Dracula. And I think it's, um, you're right. I think there's a ton of potential there. There's a great movie called uh, Spectral. It's on Netflix. And I mean, ultimately, I don't want to ruin anything, but it's it's kind of a paranormal film uh, set in that part of the world. And just the architecture alone is, is just so beautiful but forbidding at the same time yeah and i kind of feel that way about the countries you know and i don't know if it's all the conflict they've had over the years or what but they mm. feel yeah f- beautiful forbidding and full of um i don't mystery seems kind of trite but but mystery is probably the right word i mean it is it is an area rich because like ian says you know vampires legends werewolves all emanate from eastern europe there's a long tradition of strange creatures persecuting the the locals in in most of those areas oh like uh even russia with baba yaga yes um i know before uh before turducken kind of torpedoed our plans we were planning to make this sort of the year of international stories mm. and uh, i know peter was going to help us with some stuff from russia because i you're right i think there's a ton of shit there that we have barely even touch the surface of well russia is massive i yes. mean i and a lot of really lonely places mm-hmm. so oh, i yeah. just can't imagine what kind of amazing things they have russian listeners if you're out there send, send us, us your, your stories, stories. <laughs> the whispering child early last year my husband daniel rented a nice cabin in the catskills for us and our two-year-old son michael it had been a brutal hectic spring and we needed some time away to find our baseline again The house was beautiful, but a long way from not only the nearest town, but any kind of store. So after we arrived, it was decided we should make a supply run. Daniel isn't a great driver at the best of times, and that trip up had exhausted him. So I volunteered to take Michael and make the trip. I could have left Michael at home, I suppose, but Daniel was definitely going to fall asleep and is a heavy sleeper. So if our son woke up and needed anything, he'd be on his own until either I got back or his dad woke up. On our way into town, Michael napped peacefully in his car seat in the back, 
and even I started to feel some relief at being out of the city. Not long after, I started hearing what sounded like radio static, which is odd because I don't usually listen to the radio when driving somewhere new. I checked, and the radio was definitely off. The sound persisted, though, starting to make me a little nervous, so I looked into the rear view to check on Michael, and that's when I saw another child in the back seat, leaning over and whispering in his ear. This child wasn't right, either. He slash it was six or seven years old, with deeply tanned skin and bright white hair. I had no idea what to do, so I called out, but when I checked the mirror again, it was gone. The moment there was room on the shoulder to pull over, I did, and despite going through the car five or six times, Michael was the only child there, sleeping as peacefully as he ever had. I was terrified, and barely made it to the store. I've never told my husband because I don't want him to think I'm crazy, but it weighs on my mind constantly, and the slightest hint of white noise can make me shake. I get nervous when the air conditioner is on. I can't even listen to the radio anymore, because part of me is waiting for the whispering child to return. Anything with ghostly children, and no, no, not cool. Just get away from my kid. It's always They always seem to be attracted to children, especially at that age, you know, sort of, I mean, they do always say that kids up until sort of five or six are more open and able to see things. So it's it's interesting, especially but to, to witness it in a moving vehicle is, is very unusual. Well, I think, too, it's because the kids are willing to accept it, right? They don't question mm. it. They don't, oh, no, oh, my God, I'm freaking out. It's just sort of like, oh, yeah, well, this is my other friend who is a little bit different. And, you know, we chat. <laughs> yeah i mean it's it is unusual because and especially because the, the child had got white hair which is highly unusual for for ghosts in general anyway absolutely yeah no it's a whole weird story and i can't imagine what that would be like to look in the movie mirror and see that so, yeah somewhere somewhere else not to go <laughs> yeah, exactly the list, the list is growing the ghost story guy is ruining your experience of the world one That's location right. at a time never go on vacation that's the moral <laughs> of the story no. The staycation guys. There you go. There you yeah. go. That's that's our spin-off, our spin-off podcast. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, that is the end of our stories for tonight. Uh our guest storyteller, of course, Paul Bestel of Mysteries Monsters. Paul, thanks for hanging out with us tonight. This yeah, was Paul. uh this was a lot of fun. And uh, even though the computer did not always cooperate. <laughs> no, it's been fabulous. Thank you very much. And like I say, I'm chuffed to bits to be invited, you know, big fans of the show. And, and obviously we, we, I speak to you both fairly regularly as well offline. So, uh, thank you. And we, we want to thank to your daughter her, and her name is, uh, Christy. Yeah. We've got her into it. So th- I'm trying to get all my family into the show now. So my brother's a massive fan. So hello, Dean. And, uh, and obviously Christy, uh, my daughter who's, who's recently discovered you and, and thinks you're amazing. So, uh, she'll be, she's quite excited to hear that I'm on here as well. Very <laughs> cool. And, and we're, we're borrowing you from her, as I understand it. We, we take, taking yes. you away from family quiz night for a little bit. So yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I'm sure my partner will be looking forward to my input and hopefully get some points on the board. <laughs> <laughs> thanks so much, Paul. Hey, my yeah, absolute thanks, pleasure, man. gentlemen. Thank you. Anytime. Just before we go, where can people find you on, uh, various podcatchers and what's your social media? Yeah. So, uh, we're on, all social media platforms, as we often have our tete-a-tetes via Instagram. Um, so we're on there and Twitter as Mystery Monsters. Um, if you put uh, Mysteries and Monsters in Facebook, there's two groups, one that just does the show and one, because um, I like to aggregate weird stories from around the world that cover a lot of different things. So there's that page as well. Um, and the podcast can be found on any app 
just search Mysteries and Monsters. Um, and all my back issues are on my uh, Podbean page, um, which has got all 64 episodes on. Brilliant. All right. Well, it's Paul Bestel for Mysteries and Monsters. Thanks again, Paul. Have a good one. You too. Thank you, gentlemen. Take care. Take Stay care, safe. Paul. Next up is our patron shoutouts and listener mail. Welcome back. Big thanks to Paul Bestel of Mysteries and Monsters for keeping us company on this one. Always nice to have a guest here in the cabin. Mm-hmm. And thanks, of course, to the rest of the team, Luke Greensmith, Anthony Germain, and Sarah Kent for their work on this and every episode. We couldn't do it without you guys. Uh, we actually had a really fun group live chat for our $10 and up patron. It was pretty awesome. And um, it was my first time actually seeing Sarah. <laughs> That's amazing. I forgot that. So and that Anthony was pretty cool. Either. Oh, and Luke. Yeah, absolutely. I've heard Luke, but I've never seen Luke. So no, that was oh, really, really neat. Yeah. No, no, never. So that oh. was a really fun thing to do. And it, it actually made the live show, I think, a little more dynamic. So that was pretty great. Oh, absolutely. It made the live show a hell of a lot more dynamic. I know. I, I was trying to be kind to us. That's fair. I appreciate yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, if, if you uh, if you were again ten dollar patron, you can uh, you can check that out, and uh, I will tell you how, in a moment. But first, our patron shoutouts. Of course, we'd like to thank all our patrons, and we've seen a, a again. I thought this whole turducken mess would see a downturn in our patronage, but for our second straight month, we've seen pretty crazy growth. People have been so kind, seriously. Uh, yeah, I, it, it really means a lot. And so uh, we'd like to thank our latest patrons. They are Heidi Kinning, Emily Schaefer, Cheryl Augusto, Sarah Lenga, Kimberly Hansen, Elena, Shauna, Rodessa Diamond, Camille Corder, Tofer, Robin Green, M. Marie, Jenny Umana Reyes, Linda McAllister, Margaret, and Andy Gebhardt. Thank you so much, guys. Again, we, we just can't tell you how much you, we appreciate this. It uh, pays for the show, pays for our equipment. Um, right now, it helps me pay my rent. There and, you go. Uh, helps us buy food. So yeah, keeps us fed. <laughs> we, keeps us fed, which is important in these. No, I'm going to say it's not that important. I've put on God knows how much weight <laughs> during this whole thing. But anyways, no, it, it really means a world to us. And we have had some people leave. And, and we've said this before, and we want to reiterate this. If as you know, the state of the world continues for a while. You need to drop your patronage for a while. You know, not that you would need our permission. We're, this isn't a permission thing, but just we want to say we understand. Absolutely. You got to look after yourself and we'll still be here when you come back. So it's it's not a big deal. Take care of you and yours. And uh, yeah, we'll still be here. But if you do want to join the team, head on over to patreon.com slash ghost story guys. Again, that's patreon.com slash ghost story guys. We have tiers at the one, five, 10, 20 and $50 levels. And that gets you access to our monthly cabin fever episode, which is me and Ian hanging out, shooting the shit, talking about things that we can't really talk about on the main show. Uh, this most recent one is quite long and <laughs> we quite involved it. and quite involved. Yeah. yeah. Quite heavy. We, we recorded that a couple of days ago and it's, it's a long one. Um, I haven't edited it yet, but I think it'll probably come in close to an hour. 
Well, and it really uh, did turn into you and I just sort of sharing about our lives and our childhood. It's got oh, quite yeah, dark. It's, it's all laid out there. It's uh, yeah, it's a whole thing. Um, so there's that. And going forward, we're actually hoping to get uh, the other guys on the cabin fevers as well. So we'll have uh, you know the team kind of weighing in now and again. And yeah, that'd uh, be great. Yeah. Yeah, so you get access to that from ten dollars up. You get access to our monthly live show, which is again a, a video chat that uh, we do. And now, thanks to the magic of both Streamyard and I guess Turducken, which kind of forced us to look at things in a different way, mm-hmm. we also you get to meet the rest of the team, and it's it's a fun dynamic. It is. Patrons also get early access to Luke's monthly Luke Lore podcast, and that is a monthly deep dive into a folklore topic of Luke's choosing. That podcast is also publicly available. You can find that. Pretty much everywhere you get your podcasts, but patrons get it 30 days in advance. And you also get access to a number of physical rewards, which we are slowly starting to get out in the world. I know we've said on previous episodes, we're going to wait until Turducken has passed to send those. And by and large, we are, um, but we have started to drip them out a little bit. The thing is, we, we only have so much postage in stock, and I don't want to really spend a lot of time in the post office. No. And I actually just got an email from Canada Post on our business account saying that mail volumes are incredibly high right now. They're seeing Christmas level mail volumes. Yeah, yeah. And um, their workforce is not what it was. So we don't really want to contribute to that too much. And we don't want things getting lost, which is really the big concern mm-hmm. when you've got high volume and, and, and low staff. So again, you will get physical rewards if you want them, but it, they'll just get sent out in stages. And and I know we've sent out, I want to say about 15, 12 nice. or 15 of them so far. Yeah. So again, you if you sign up at the higher levels, I know at 20, you get a ghost force magnet, you get art cards with my night photography, and at 50, you get you get various kinds of merch. You will still get those. Again, just sent a little bit later. But they're all also digital rewards at the higher level. You get uh, Ian's smash hit, Christian Country album, Aware of Wonder. <laughs> so Really a voice of peace and hope in these troubled times. Truly is, because we know the Lord. We know the Lord. <laughs> we know the Lord has a hold on us. I need to do an infomercial stat. You truly do. I do. <laughs> oh, music video. Oh, God. Can you imagine how funny that would be? It's in my head right now, Ian. I'm thinking about it. I see a lot of me looking up with my hands raised, you know, at the sky. Oh, yeah. And like a wheat field or something or tall grass. And and doing the whole fist thing, you know, where you got your hands out and then you close your hands and pull your arms down at the same time. Oh, yeah. It's okay. That's got to be in there, too. Got to be in there, This is happening. Yeah. This will happen. I don't know when, but Ian Gibbs music video, that shit is (laughs) happening. For now, if you want to join the team, patreon.com. Slash ghost story, guys. Next up, we have listener mail. Our courteous and efficient staff is on call 24 hours a day to serve all your supernatural elimination needs. We're ready to believe you. We love getting mail from you guys here at the show. And you guys always, always come through with your comments, your questions, your gentle criticisms. And we appreciate every single one of you. And so this time around, we'd like to thank for getting in touch. Lynn. Mythica. Lori. Virginia. Amanda, Anna, Jade, Jess, Francis, Paul, Autumn, Kendra, Evan, Chris, Sam, Trey, Liz, Jordan, Sarah, Joshua, Stephen, Danny, Mission Spooky, that's the Mission Spooky podcast, Alana, John, Kaleri, Samantha, Bob, Raluca, Danny, Lily, Rebecca, Bryce, and Colleen. Thank you so much for getting in touch, guys. Again, we appreciate the hell out of it. 
Love hearing your comments, your questions, your gentle criticisms. And if you got something to say, send it over to ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. If you got a story you want to share, we've got a couple of listener story episodes coming up. Again, that's ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. You can also reach us on our various social media places. That's uh, facebook.com slash ghoststoryguys, Instagram at instagram.com slash theghoststoryguys, and Twitter at twitter.com slash ghoststoryguys. The Twitter account is administered by Sarah, so make sure to go on over there and say hi. If you do want to send us a story, though, the place to do it is email account. And that's, again, ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. Or you can reach us on the ghost line. There's something strange in your neighborhood. Who are you going to call? Ghost line. Call one triple eight five eight eight six nine two oh. Thanks to our listener, Amber Pease, for that Lovely jingle. If you want to make a ghost line jingle, feel free. Send it to us again. Ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. The number for the ghost line is one 588 6920 That's toll free. You can call and leave your story as one or a series of voicemails. Or if you're not feeling the, uh, the voice thing, you can text it to us at 925-553-4789. That's a U.S. number, just so you're aware if you're texting from outside the U.S. that uh, there may be an international charge there, depending on your carrier. But again, we would love to hear what you have to say. And in fact, uh, we have a lovely message that we're going to share from our listeners, Pete and Connie, who we have been fortunate enough, both of us actually, to meet in person when we were in L.A. Mm-hmm. Hey, Brennan. It's Pete and Connie in Los Angeles. We just want to say hi to you and Ian and Brandon. I hope your kids, Nathaniel and Kiki, are doing all right. Um, just calling to say hi. A great couple of shows. Guys, take care. Bye. They're just great people. They, they are. are. They are truly yeah. amazing. Oh, they were so good to both of us. Yeah. You, know, you and you and Jason and myself when I was down there. Yeah. Just lovely, lovely people. We also had a text from Aiden, and he wanted to know what the music was that we played on the previous show. And that track was Whispering of the Stars by Luella Gren. That track came from Epidemic Sound, which is our partner for Podsafe Music, and was edited by us. So the version that you hear on their service, or if you find it via streaming, is going to be a little bit different. Uh, we, we altered that slightly. But uh, again, it's a great track, and thank you for asking, Aiden. Now, I don't think there's anything new coming up, although you were interviewed for a magazine, Mr. Fancy Pants. I was. Suspicious times. Excellent. And do you know when that's coming out? No. Okay. <laughs> Fair. So we will, uh, <laughs> when that comes out, we'll make sure to post that on our, across our social media. Uh, nothing new for me, although I did get my, my newest revenue statement from my publisher. Oh, guess, excellent. Guess how much my big fat check is going to be. Tell in me. June. Tell me. $76. But U.S., so oh yeah, so a hundred dollars can exactly. So let's yeah. not downplay that. I'm rolling in a baby. <laughs> boy oh boy, that's I'm actually, awesome. We've almost sold out the print run, and basically once that's done, it's done. There will not be a reprint of Strange. So I, I'm going to have to pick up some copies for myself so we can sell it from our store at, of course, GhostStoryGuys.BigCartel.com, and uh, I I think we can reasonably say that's back open again. The big cartel store. I know mm-hmm. we've had a couple orders recently. So nice. if you have placed orders with us over the last month and a half, as Turducken has uh, screwed with things, we will be filling those orders now. So uh, in the coming, in the coming weeks, going out of the house, depending on how busy things are is kind of a stressor for me. Uh, but, but I'm working on it. As long as people are mindful, I don't mind, but 
as I was telling Ian uh, when we were talking off air, doing the courier job here in Victoria has been difficult at nights because a lot of the other couriers are not very cautious. Right. Uh, and I, it just, I do not want to get sick and having no. these guys cluster around me no, as I pick good. up someone's order from McDonald's to make $7. Yeah. It just doesn't seem like a great trade. No, to it really, really doesn't. <laughs> so, but yes, we will get those orders out. And again, if you want to pick up a signed copy of our books or a pin or an art card with my night photography, it's all at ghoststoryguys.bigcartel.com. Other merchandise you can find at ghoststoryguys.redbubble.com. That's t-shirts, mugs, everything else. And that's all print on demand. So when you want it, it'll be there. Ghoststoryguys.redbubble.com. And visit our newly redesigned ghoststoryguys.com. That's a clearinghouse for everything Ghost Story Guys. You can find bios for me and Ian and the rest of the team. You can find links to all our various stores and things like this. We're very proud of it. It's brand spanking new. So again, ghoststoryguys.com. Make sure to check it out. Huge thanks to our musical guest, Luke Luscious, for the use of his tracks 23 North, which we played selections of during the bumpers, and Potent, which we're going to go out on here. They're from his brand new album, The Frontier Motel, and you can find more from him at vile.life. That's V-I-A-L dot life. Thanks so much, Luke. Our theme song, Into the Darkness We Go, is composed and performed by Peter of Pizzanta Music. You can find more from him by going to soundcloud.com slash Music. Our stories theme is The Future Belongs to Them Now by Hexagram. Find more from them by going to hexagram.bandcamp.com. That's hexagram with two X's, not three, and searching for them anywhere you stream your music. All other music and sound effects on this show are provided courtesy of Epidemic Sound. If you're looking for pod-safe music and sound effects for your next project, head on over to epidemicsound.com and check them out. Thanks again to Paul for Mysteries and Monsters. That's going to do it. We'll be back in two weeks with another show, and until then... Into the darkness we go. Yeah, you know what this is, baby. We back again. Canada's finest. Wildlife. This saga continues.
I get paid in advance, I scope the lay of the land I just hit the flight, now I'm staying out in France Counting money, baby, I'm gracious with the hands I know I'm the greatest, I ain't complacent with the hands Damn, pick me up at the terminal, gotta get my girl a call Dad, I'm on roaming, I'll be home in a moment It's bittersweet, my life history rich and deep I spent weekends in Toronto with more nouns in the sleep uh, Bag me, I'm aroused Dangling in the clouds, bagging up the pounds with my cousin. It's a family affair and I love them. I don't care, I put no one above them. I'm the lyrical savage. It's a miracle I'm alive. It's a surprise I'm this passing. See the hate up in my eyes, hear the patience in my rhymes. I'm aging real fine, baby. I didn't say anything and I'm feeling very proud of myself. <laughs> there was just so much. So I, much. I could feel it bubbling up. Oh my up. god, there was so much. You're very quiet, Brennan. Yeah, you are. How about now? Is that better? Yeah, that's better. Mm. Okay. I, I was just sort of back from the mic kind of talking to myself. <laughs> that's not helpful. No, come on. No. Read my thoughts, Ian. Aren't we there yet? No, we are not. Read my I mind. Hope, I hope we never will be. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> and what am I thinking now? <laughs> Ian starts crying. <laughs> well, well, fair. <laughs> Faster than usually happens on the show, too. True. Very true. Can you enunciate more, please? Thank you. <laughs> oh, nice. now I know I'm dealing with an Englishman. That's right. The Queen's English, please. <laughs> Never been the same since you left the crown's tender embrace. <laughs> That's what you call it. I have also, some is- very exciting oh, news. Fire away. I have broken my cat's spirit, and he is now in his bed. Ah, uh, <laughs> peace reigns. Peace reigns. I, I guess that's good. I don't know. I no, I it's good. Of, trust me. Anything that involves broken spirit doesn't sound great to me. I'm sorry, but it had to be done. Is it crazy fucking humid up in Langford right now? Or up in up on View Royal? View Royal? Yeah. Of course, yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm sitting here. The window's open. I'm sitting in my robe. I, I don't know what to tell you. It's 89% in Victoria. Holy cats. Yeah, mm. I'm sweating like crazy. Sweating like a whore in church. I really am. I am sitting here totally nude, just dripping sweat. <laughs> That's disgusting. <laughs> Thank you. Double so, check, Brennan. That's my new name for you. It's better than some of the other ones you give me. So True. <laughs> Well, it's no. better than the other day because they were they were singing about one of them shitting themselves. <laughs> I mean, that's ve- very much our kind of content, sure. But you know. <laughs> oh god, I so regret doing that now. Oh I god, just... it's the joke that just did not work for us at all. It's a gift that keeps taking. It was weird, and I tried muting everyone in turn, and it didn't seem to change it. It was just like a like a signal washing over the channel. I've very never experienced weird. that with ZenCaster. Strange. Hmm. <sighs> Well, if it was going to be any show getting fucked with like this, it'd be us. <laughs> I yeah. like that idea. Yeah, well, don't argue with me. Just do as I say. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> don't get used to it, but okay. <laughs>